0: Cutting device, for Richard Serra You've landed in fog on a clear day The field widens when you test it with your feet Look out for the edge, the instructor said It's hidden in the turf Walk around, feet sinking in with every step Crouch, wait for your hands to wake up Find balance You fumble in your coat pocket for a dog-eared sketchbook To touch, to raise, to drop, to mold, to find You see the edge only after you've burnt it with your arctic fingers Your eyes hack it out of the turf Watch the running curve they make Jaguar slope against the dream-slowed earth You cannot remove yourself From this landscape, you cannot look back. Where would you go, migrant heart, if they sent you?
1: That was Ranjit Hoskote reading his poem Cutting Device. You're listening to Poetry Darbar, a podcast where you'll hear the poems, the Shairis, the kavitas, and the poets of India. I'm your host, Laksh Before I get to the poems and the conversations, here's what I want you to know about the poet and the Darbar today. Besides being a poet, Ranjit is also a cultural theorist and a curator. His six collections of poetry include Vanishing Acts, published in 2006, Central Time in 2014, and Jonah Whale in 2018. His translation of a celebrated 14th century Kashmiri woman's saint's poetry has appeared as Ailalla, The Poems of Ded, which was published in 2011. Ranjit curated India's first ever national pavilion at the Venice Biennale. Under the title, Everyone Agrees, It's About to Explode. He has received the Sahitya Academy Golden Jubilee Award, the Sahitya Academy Translation Award, and the S.H. Raza Literature Award. His poems have also been translated into German, Hindi, Swedish, Spanish, as well as Arabic. I sat down with Ranjit in Mumbai to record the poems featured in this episode, and to also talk about how he found poetry and where the words really come from. Before I play you our conversation, here's another poem by Ranjit called Ghalib in the Winter of the Great Revolt.
0: Ghalib in the Winter of the Great Revolt, Delhi, 1857 the emperor's murdered grandsons hang from the gate of peace like hushed bells and rifles drill the sentenced air. My neighbor, the flautist, slit his veins last night, burning his prayer book before he died, true to a god of subtle tones wasted on the deaf. Ghalib writes to a friend. All around us the Furies ride their burning horses It's as though Temur had broken Delhi's walls again His cinder-street soldiers heaping pyramids of skulls in the streets And a baker's for orphans to compute The profits of betrayal, the penalties of defeat Cannon the only thunder, writes Ghalib, and no rain Gunners waving St. George's flag Have driven the nobles from their charred mansions, Tethered the peasants to the surly river. The coppersmith, tapping at a dead branch, Fills the vacant sky with the privacy of his grief. The friend with a spy at his shoulder writes back, When did you become a poet of adjectives, Roosting in the rafters of a broken house? Ghalib, the owl must hide in the tamarind for now. But the genies of havoc will go on furlough soon You say your inkwell is empty But your dry quill still claws at the fibres of the heart A pharmacist may drug himself with lyric, Ghalib replies And a tiger may vanish In the rain forest of his hunter's dreams But the dry quill is a reproach And this raw winter could be the living tomb of my song Send Paper Friend. These are the last pages of my journal I'm writing on.
1: What is your first memory of, of writing a few sentences together that did it immediately, like, did you even know that you were writing poetry with the first time you wrote it? I think I came to poetry through music. I
0: grew up with music all around me at home. So the primary magic for me when I came to words was how to fit words together into a pattern, that had a cadence, that had a beat. And uh, it was just this this sense that you could do it yourself. That's what that's what really kept me in the game. Mm-hmm. So my earliest memories of uh, of uh, writing what I recognize to be a poem have to do with precisely that. Exploring what I now recognize to be rhyme, to be assonance, mm-hmm. just seeing how different words are, are linked together because they have some sounds in common, some syllables that, that, that come together in a certain way. It seems like a very primitive early way of thinking about it, mm-hmm. but um, it, I, I think it's really that. It, it's following the pattern into the maze of sound.
1: In, in during the writing of, of a particular piece are you are you emotion and feeling first and language later or are you always very you know self-editing because you want to get the language right of whatever the feeling you're trying to capture
0: i think at a certain point the feeling and the words find each other in your mm. brain and uh, you then work on the language, of course, but uh, I, at, at some point when you know that you've acquired a certain kind of uh, grip over, over your art and your materials, you don't really make a distinction between the affect of it, the mm-hmm. emotion, and, uh, and the words. They, they, they really do come together. Often for me, and increasingly, uh, uh, a line announces itself. It could be a strange inexplicable line Mm -hmm. and then the poem in a way is is a hunt for the meaning of that line and then the poem just comes into being the Mm -hmm. the poem unfolds as as a quest or as a as a way of asking myself what that line meant it came out of nowhere seemingly but then as you as you as you puzzle over the line you you do realize that it's calling on deep emotional reserves, Mm -hmm. memories, uh, things that are barely articulated, so for me the poem is also a way of bringing to articulation things that uh, would otherwise just lie unrecorded somewhere Mm -hmm. in the
1: mind. I've always felt that like when I write a play I always feel each plays the answer to a new question that I'm curious about. Absolutely. But I'm, I always come almost close to the answer. <laughs> or I stop writing right before I know about it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: No, I think that happens with poetry too. I mean, yeah. you, you, you work out this poem sometimes as a kind of uh, mathematical system of things, mm-hmm. and then it completely breaks up. Mm-hmm. And then what you have is still the mystery of what that original line meant. Or what that very elusive color or situation was Mm -hmm. that was in your mind when you when you began to write.
1: Do you find yourself now that you've been writing for a while, do you find yourself following certain Ranjit rules that you've (laughs) created or are you a rebel to your own style? For me frankly,
0: I would be anxious if there were strict Ranjit
1: rules.
0: (laughs) For me, it's always about uh, consolidating things that you learn along the way, of course, but those usually are rules about what not to do, uh, what what traps not to fall into. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would be very, very skeptical of formulae. So for me, increasingly, every new sequence of poems, every new book is an invitation to go on a new journey. Mm -hmm. to actually actively disrupt things that I've um, brought together and and brought to a certain kind of point in the previous sequence Mm in the previous book.
1: Is there a particular moment in time when you felt like this is my voice?
0: I think that happened with me when I put together my new and selected poems. That was in 2006 Uh, Vanishing Acts is what the book is called and I brought together writings from the 20 years prior to that and at that point I felt that I had a voice but going forward from there I realized that what I was most preoccupied with as a poet was not finding my voice so much as expanding it to include as many other voices as possible to be polyphonic if you will Mm -hmm. so for me, increasingly, the, the project, if you will, has been to open the poem up, to get away from a certain kind of personal lyric that, that we receive as a dominant form, especially when we write in English, mm-hmm. but not only. Uh, you also see it in many other languages in India. And to me, that kind of lyric is confined to the relatively narrow anxieties and concerns of, of an individual self. Mm -hmm. But we're living at a time when our destinies are increasingly and absolutely linked to the destinies of everybody else. Whether it's for reasons of forced migration, political cataclysm, climate change, there is no narrow, simple I anymore. Mm -hmm. So whenever we say I, we need to know that that I is really a we. And the poem needs to bring in a much larger sense of what affects and afflicts thousands and millions of us. Mm-hmm. So for me, the poem is becoming a stage where all these different disquietudes and concerns and perspectives can be brought in. So I'm very interested now in the form of the oratorio or of the libretto. So many of my new poems in Joan for instance, actively take that form. They seek mm-hmm. out this kind of larger dramatic or operatic form.
1: Let's say you're through some magic of time travel, a uh, 22-year-old you is handed uh, Ranjit Hoskode a book to read <laughs> and, and, well, let's say, share his opinion on what he's just read. What would that you think of this poet today?
0: You know, when I was 22, I was still shaping my way in, into the world of poetry. I, my first book came out when I was 22, but the poems that went into that book reflected all of these tensions. There was a preoccupation with going to the roots of the language, to Norse, to Anglo-Saxon, to look for hard, guttural sounds, consonants, to seek out a, a variety of tones to work with. But there was also this driving need to turn the poem into some kind of hard metallic artifact. Mm -hmm. Then over the years, this changed. And I wanted the poem to be uh, more of a spoken text. I wanted it to be more inclusive, more generous to listeners, to readers. Many things shifted and changed over over the years that I've been writing. I also went through a period when I gave in to a much more formal classicizing aspect of my temperament, but where I am now, it seems that I'm able to be capacious enough to deal with all of these things. I don't know if that's a good description of growing up, but it seems that I can be generous to myself Mm -hmm. in terms of allowing for all these experiments to, to remain in adjacency instead of having to choose one voice over another.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Poetry Der Bar. If you like this episode, do subscribe to our show wherever you're listening to this. I also want to thank you, our Poetry Der Bar listeners, for showing your love to the other show that I just started called Play Me Life. I put up the first episode of that at the Poetry Der Bar podcast feed, and it's done really well, and I'm overwhelmed by the support, so thank you for Listening to it, thank you for sharing it. Thank you for telling people about it. And if you haven't heard it, please do check out the Play Me Life podcast. It's available wherever you're listening to this. And closing out this episode, here's another poem written and read by Ranjit. And this one's called Night Sky and Counting.
0: Night Sky and Counting For Teju Cole. You are in the dark Looking up at constellations and shooting stars Finding traces of adobe roofs and walls at the eye's radium rim While grass tickles your back You notice some celestial objects move faster than others Sorting red shift from blue note You are the samurai of wide open spaces They scan you In their eyes you're a ninja Betrayed by body heat, you're that gray glowing to orange smear in minutes you could evaporate Leaving heat shadow printed on the ground to mark the spot You thought you were the subject, the locus of consciousness When the shooting stars look down, they see an object with eyes, a moving threat Under the black mirror at which you point to finger-link faint trails that might be a hunter, his belt, his faithful dogs, or a raven, a boar, a river of eyes, you have no cover, you are in the dog.